Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Morning, church. Um, as Joel said, the, uh, this morning's passage is from 1 Corinthians 9, 19-27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I would do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in the blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you again for uh, the space where we can gather um, as a body to set aside, I guess, the craziness of the world um, and just come in and worship together and be quiet, um, be still and listen to your word. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for this sermon on uh, the fruit of the spirit. We ask that you be with Joel as he preaches this passage um, on self-control. I ask that you open our hearts, open our ears and soften our hearts to to your word and what it might mean to um, have self-control, self-sacrifice, Lord, um, for the sake of others. And just ask that you be with us um, this evening or this morning. I'm proud of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. So, uh, I don't know how many of you are fans of the Olympics or track such things. Uh, Thank you for raising your hands. Uh, Thank you for raising your hands. Uh, Not everyone else has to raise their hands. I am a fan. I can raise mine. Uh, So the Olympics, they started this past week, and it fascinates me how many people tune in to continue to watch the Olympics. Uh, I get the sense that it extends beyond uh, hardcore sports fans. There is something about an international gathering of athletes, people who are coming from across the world to represent their countries, athletes that have trained for years, whether it is in swimming or running or rock climbing or gymnastics or basketball or some other sport that you would rarely ever watch, but you tune in to catch the Olympics. And it's not just you. Uh, There are uh, roughly uh, 25 some odd million people on any given night in the United States turning in And across the world, uh, during any set of Olympics, for the uh, Nielsen folks and the people who look at ratings and try to track, 
it is roughly three to four billion people across the world or viewers who will turn in uh, over the midst of one set of Olympic Games. And, and I think part of what's fascinating is not only the country part, what country has the most medals, what kind of medals, how is the home country doing, is the you know, home court or field advantage working for them. It's not just that. It's the idea that someone would invest years of their life, hours and hours and hours of practice in order to compete in an event that may take less than a minute, that may take just a few minutes. And so they craft their time and energy and expertise, and it is honed and developed all for this one moment or set of moments in this specific week, in this specific year for all the world to see. So it's not just the athletic events themselves, I don't think. And, and it's not just uh, the, the work that uh, goes into representing a country. That's part of it. But I don't think it's just that. For me, it is the self-control and work and labor that has gone into getting this person to this specific moment. That self-control in the pursuit of a medal in the Olympic Games is more than just uh, something that happens in athletic events or in uh, international competitions like the Olympics. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, uses a, a type of games, it's a different set of games, but similar to the Olympics, to illustrate what it looks like in the Christian's life to develop and exercise spiritual self-control. That is, self-control that relates not to pursuing some medal in running or swimming or basketball, but self-control that is exercised in part because of who we are as Christians. And in our series going through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that is, the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and that we, each of us here, participate in as we mature in our faith, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he gives a series of fruit that is produced in our lives. Things like uh, love and joy, peace and patience, gentleness, and today, self-control. And so we are going to look at the self-control that goes into not representing a country and not trying to win some medal, but the self-control that goes into maturing individually and collectively in our faith. What does Christian self-control look like? For the Apostle Paul, he unpacks that in his letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to look at it this morning in two points, self-controlled mission and self-controlled service. And so this first point, self-controlled mission, uh, if you want to follow along, you can see it. I, I'll focus on verses 19 through 23. Here in this opening paragraph, Paul is saying that he has rights and that he is free. 
And this conversation for Paul in this letter of Corinthians, I want to give you a little bit of context so that when we drop in, you can follow just what he's talking about. Because uh, when Paul writes this idea of freedom and giving up that freedom in the pursuit of self-control, he is addressing food sacrificed to idols. That's what is being discussed in chapters 8 and in chapters 9 and in chapters 10. It's really all part of this extended section. Now, maybe you don't wrestle a lot with the question of food sacrifice to idols, so let me unpack just a little bit what he is talking about. In the first century world, you may be offered into a meal, but if that person did not worship the triune God of Christianity, if he worshiped or she worshiped some other God, they may have food that was sacrificed or uh, was dedicated in worship to that idol. And that food would be served to you just as part of the hospitality of that household. And in the first century, new Christians, people who were brand new to this idea that Jesus has died for them, that they have been united to Jesus in faith and that their sin has been paid for, that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that that has become their hope for life and life everlasting. When they showed up to this meal and they were served food that had been sacrificed to another God or to an idol, they wrestled with the question of, does it betray my faith in Jesus to partake in this? And that was a major question in the day because this was a regular thing for people who were new to the Christian faith. They would be served these meals and they would wrestle with whether or not they should eat that food. And Paul, the apostle, a leader in the first century church, is writing to answer the question and says, in effect, listen, there's no problem eating that food. You can eat it. But if you're at a meal with a sister or brother in Christ who's new to their faith, and they're really struggling with this question, then not your rights is the primary question that you work through, whether you can eat it, but whether you should eat it alongside this person who's struggling. It's an illustration of spiritual self-control. Paul's saying you can eat it. It's permissible to eat it. For him, uh, there is one true living God. And so an idol is nothing. So food sacrifice idols, it's fine. But if his sister or brother at the table struggled, then he would give up that right to love and care for his brother or sister. And that is the context then that in verse 19, Paul drops in to continue unpacking what it is he's saying. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Do you see now what he's talking about, about his freedom, but becoming a servant? He's saying as a Christian, I am free to do all sorts of things, but I give up those rights or I exercise self-control when it comes to some of my freedoms for the sake of loving and caring for my neighbors, for loving and caring for others who are new to the faith, for loving and caring for people I'm interacting with out in the community. 
And so he unpacks that. In verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew, which is a bit ironic because Paul is Jewish. Uh, That is who he is. But I think in unpacking this point, I think what he's saying is when I'm around people who deeply value their Jewish identity, I recognize that. And I, uh, even though my primary identity is in Jesus, I care for them. I become a Jew. In verse 20, he continues around those who are under the law, and he wants to kind of clarify, even though he isn't subject to the law in order to prove something to God because he's been united to Jesus. So for Paul, being a Christian isn't about working your way up to God's approval. Being a Christian is being united to Jesus and being set free from that kind of religious work. It's not that that doesn't shape or transform your life. We're going to talk about that more in a minute, right? Self-control. But it's that you're not working to try to earn your way to God. And so for Paul, he's saying, when I'm around people who are under the law and it is a burden on them in ways that it isn't for me, I become as one under the law. In verse 21, to those who are outside the law, to those who aren't ethnically Jewish, uh, in the first century, they were often called Gentiles. Uh, A catch-all term for people who weren't familiar with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and ethnically were outside of uh, of the people of Israel. So here he says to those outside the law, he became like one outside the law. And then in verse 22, maybe the most striking of the group, to the weak, I became weak. Paul is saying that he has become all things to all people and almost gives a progressive list, starting with maybe what's easiest for the people for him to identify. But then he continues on and stretches to those who are under the law, to those who are outside of Judaism. So that would have been ethnically very different from Paul's life. Paul was uh, in many ways most at home with those first two categories, people who were Jewish and people who felt like they were under the law. That was Paul's training. But here you see intercultural competency or stretching across ethnic lines when Paul says to those who are outside and not under the law, to the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. And then he stretches even further to those who may uh, be on the margins, to those who are perceived as weak. The Greco-Roman world was no different, friends, than the 21st century world. Weakness was not something many people aspired to. It may be something that's thrust upon them. It may be something that they don't have a choice. But to say that I chose to become weak ran counter to the culture of Paul's day, just as it runs counter to the culture of our day. But yet, Paul says, I give up my strength. He doesn't say, I became like a weak person. He says directly, I became weak. He did it. He exercised this type of self-control as a model for the Corinthian church. This is taking place in the context of a call for them to follow his pattern. So who would do that? Who would give up some of the uh, freedom or rights that they have individually or collectively to exercise a type of self-control over those rights to reach out, to care for, 
to be in community with others. For Paul, that mark of self-control individually and corporately is what marks Christians because Jesus did that for us. As Jeremy preached last week about uh, from Philippians 2, another of Paul's letters where Jesus gives up status to take on humanity, to take on finiteness. Uh, Jesus did that humbling himself and not just taking on humanity, but humbling himself to the point of death on a cross for you out of love and care for you. Jesus has loved Paul in this way and loved each of us and all who are united to him in faith, then we are called to become more and more like Jesus as Christians. And so we follow his example. So what is that like for us as a community? Where do you see your freedom, rights, and identity right now in Montgomery County? For most of us, uh, the whole eating food sacrificed to idols thing, that's not as much of a thing. But surely there are ways where we collectively exercise or can exercise self-control as the mark of a growing people, as a mark of growing faith. Maybe that is uh, you live with uh, some means. You don't struggle to make ends meet. And so you have the freedom to use uh, the resources, but particularly the financial resources that you have to go on vacations or to go out and eat in any restaurant or to, um, to really the freedom to pursue whatever hobbies you want. Maybe one way of self-control and following Paul's pattern isn't food sacrifice to idols, but when we connect with neighbors who don't have the same level of means that we do, we're conscious of that reality. And so we don't ask them to do things that we know they can't afford. We can afford it, but if they can't, and we want to be in community with them, maybe we exercise some self-control over our means to be in community with them. But it's not just that. It could also be time, right? So financial means may be one way in which we can exercise self-control. Time is another. Uh, kids, you have rights as children. And I think most of you know this, and so I may be stating the obvious, but uh, you have a call on your parents. You get to go up to certain individuals in this room and tug on their pants or on their shirt and say, I'm hungry, feed me, or I'm bored. I hope not, but look, I know the reality, right? Uh, and you just have this right as a kid. And so if after church, you see your mom or dad or guardian in a conversation, and they're really enjoying it, kids, you could exercise self-control by trying to find something else to do. So even though you have the right to go pull on their shirt, you don't do it. You exercise self-control. Kids, this is part of the way you can grow in your faith. And it's not just with kids. That's the same with uh, single folks uh, and the way that they use their time. It's true of uh, people who are dating and the way that they use their time and how they choose uh, to connect with friends. It's true of married people. Uh, that they don't forego friendships, uh, that they connect and use some of their time to care for others. 
Finally, it can be true, uh, and there are many ways, right? I could keep going, but for the sake of time, uh, you can think about education levels, think about the things that you like to talk about. So if you've ever been in a conversation where two of you really like something, but it's clear the three other people in the conversation don't like it, can't connect, don't understand what you're talking about, you could keep talking about it, or you could forego that and try to invite them into the conversation. That is just a bit of the self-control that Paul is talking about that is a model for Christian faith. It is a model of caring for others. The final one may be personality. Uh, so for those of you who are extroverts and you draw energy from talking, I can relate to you. I really can. But I often find myself in circles where I want to draw that energy and I want to keep talking and I forego that because I recognize other people, we need to hear from them. Our community would be better. And so I shut up, at least for a while. And for introverts, it's like the reverse, right? You loathe being put on the spot or having to talk. But as part of a Christian community, sometimes greeting or welcoming in someone who's new, even though you're introverted and even though you don't really want to participate in the greeting time, you may forego that and exercise the self-control that pushes you into trying to at least say hello. And you do that for the sake of the other, not because you love talking, but because you're willing to give of yourself to care for someone else. So you can see that that is just a few small examples of applications for how we grow in self-control. And the point that I would make is that it drives the mission of who we are as a Christian community. For Paul, he did these things not just to get a self-control merit badge, not just to let people know through social media that he exercised self-control today. He did it for the sake of their souls. He did it for the sake of their spiritual health. He did it for the sake of loving them faithfully with how Paul understood the world. And that is what drives us as a church to do these things. It's not Pastor Joel's approval. It's not a, a merit badge for yourself. It's not so that you can signal to others that you are working hard to form virtue. It is for the sake of faithfully loving our neighbors and making known that Jesus has done this for us, and it shapes our lives to do it for others, right? So Paul says that his mission was shaped by self-control. He goes on in verses 24 through 27 to say it's also shaped by service. And that brings us back to the Olympics. In Paul's day, there was a different type of games. It was called the uh, Isthmian Games. And uh, in this set of games in Corinth, the city that he was writing, it took place every two years. And back then, they didn't give you, what do you get in the Olympics again if you win first? Gold medal, very good, well done. In the Isthmian games, when you got first, they gave you a wreath of celery leaves. 
Now, I don't know if celery leaves are cool or beautiful. I, you can ask someone else who knows what celery leaves look like, but I'm guessing that they perish, that they're not something that lasts as long as a gold medal. And so Paul picks this up, and I want to credit Jerome Murphy O'Connor in his book, St. Paul's Corinth, for that poll on the Isthmian Games and the celery wreaths, because he's making the point that is, as Paul talks about perishable, imperishable, that celery wreath that people had worked so hard to get wouldn't last. And so Paul is saying, why do we exercise self-control? Why would we do this as part of a mission? It's because we are pursuing a wreath. What victory looks like for Christians is imperishable. As a community, we are pursuing the imperishable. And so we have to keep track of what our motivations are when it comes to virtue formation. The parallel, and it's obvious here, so I'm not going to unpack further, is that people do all this self-control work, all these athletes, boxers, chariot drivers, uh, all of the events that were part of the Isthmian Games, and then they just got a celery hat, celery leaf hat that didn't last. And Paul's saying, as Christians, what our reward for faithfulness results in is something imperishable. In his book on 1 Corinthians, David Jackman writes that Christianity is more than a cross-shaped doorway that you walk through. That it is a cross-shaped life that continues as part of our own spiritual journey and development until either Jesus returns or we die and look forward to the imperishable resurrection bodies that we'll have. His point, and I think this is important, is Jesus' service, Jesus' self-control, Jesus' love, Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross is not just the thing we acknowledge in our heads as the doorway that we walk into to become Christians, and then we do whatever we want after that. That's not how Christianity works. It does involve a profession of faith. It does involve intellectual engagement, but it also involves life formations, the way in which the rest of our body goes through the rest of our lives, cross-shaped formation, ways in which we exercise love and joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, and self-control for the sake of both following in what Jesus has done for us, but also growing as a spiritual community. For Paul and for us, living that way, day in and day out, week in and week out, inviting others in, engaging our neighbors, and doing it being driven along by God's grace to us in Jesus, that functions as a testimony, as a witness, as a signal to all around us that this is what we believe and this is who we are. And so at Mosaic Silver Spring, that is our hope as we engage on Sunday mornings and as we love our neighbors and as we talk to and engage with our coworkers or fellow students, that is what the Christian, the growing Christian life looks like. May God give us strength to form the virtue of self-control for the sake of others. Let me pray. God, I ask that we will, as a community, 
love and care for one another, exercise self-control, and do it as part of the mission and service that we know in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this together in his name. Amen. If you would, go ahead and let's stand together and respond in song.